Good morning, Living Word Baptist Church, and good morning to everyone who is watching on Facebook. A special welcome to our congregation in Pakistan. Let me get my glasses out so I can see what I'm doing here. Oh, there you are. <laughs> Excuse me. Happy Easter. Christ is risen. And because Christ is risen, what's changed in your life? Like, what's in your wallet? What's in your life? Because Christ has risen. You don't have to answer that out loud. You can think about it. Now, this sermon may not be, you may not consider this a usual Easter sermon. I'm not going to step through the things that happen on Easter morning. That's what a lot of pastors do, and I know that you've heard that many times, and I know that you can read that in the Scripture for yourself. So I'm going to take a little bit different approach, and I think that if you bear with me just a little bit, you'll see the logic of it. Now, today we're talking about a man whose life was completely changed by Jesus. Completely changed. His name was Levi. Now, Levi is a nice, respectable Jewish name. But <clears throat> Levi was also called uh, by the Greek name Matthew. And he worked as a tax collector for the Roman government. Now, what this meant for him, his occupation as a tax collector, made him an outcast among his own people. He was not considered... Uh, acceptable, and he people didn't uh, good Jewish people didn't go to his house. And then one day, along came a young rabbi named Jesus, and the rest, as they say, is history. Matthew describes what happened in verse nine, uh, chapter nine, verse nine. As Jesus passed from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, "Follow me." And he rose and followed him. He followed Jesus. From that moment on, Matthew's life was completely and totally changed. He had a new vocation, if you will. He had a new group of friends that he hung out with. And a completely new outlook and purpose for his life. In other words, he had a new life. One big change is that Matthew went from being a tax collector to an author. He wrote this very gospel that we read and were referring to this morning. The first thing Matthew did as a follower of Jesus was to have a party. He had a bunch of people at his house. And Matthew records that a bunch of other tax collectors and sinners attended his party along with Jesus and his disciples. So here Jesus is, he's sitting in the home of a hated tax collector, surrounded by a bunch of notorious sinners, um, and who do you think shows up? The ever-present Pharisees, of course. And what are they doing? They're, they're just lurking about. They're out there watching the house to see who goes in and who comes out. And they're probably, you know, have their paper, and they're probably taking names because they're very diligent about the letter of the law. So here's Jesus sitting there, 
And as soon as they got a chance, the Pharisees that is, they complained to some of Jesus' disciples. Why is your leader partying with a bunch of sinners? Now these religious leaders would never, never have gone into the home of a tax collector. Obviously, uh, they couldn't criticize Jesus for doing this if they had done it themselves. So, you know, they made sure that they stayed away. But evidently, someone let Jesus know what was going on and what was being said by the uh, Pharisees. And this is how he responded to them in verses 12 and 13. But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came to call the righteous. Not I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. You see, Jesus, when he said that, is quoting Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. And the Pharisees knew the Scripture. I mean, that was their job to know the Scripture from the front to the end. But they didn't get it. They didn't either didn't understand it or they didn't want to get it. I don't know, but they didn't get it. They didn't care about the calling of sinners back to God, you see. They only cared about maintaining uh, their own positions. They cared about keeping themselves uh, clean ceremoniously and and um, they wanted to make sure that they stayed away from the sinners the the lowly riffraff you see the the ones who didn't quite fit in the ones who they considered lost and they weren't interested in their salvation in any way now I'm going to tell you something folks religious people today can fall into that same trap if you're not careful I don't want that guy coming here. Look at all those tattoos on him. He must be some kind of bad sinner. I got news for you. We all are. All of us. Tattoos are not. If you've got tattoos, you're just a little worse, right? No. Not true. Not true. People have a tendency to look down on, on other people oftentimes. Some churches work hard to keep the riffraff out while... God's desire is to get the riffraff in. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So they can hear the Word of God. They can hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ rising from the dead and saving their souls. I'm going to give you a little uh, story. I was at a church one time where uh, there's a program called the Point Man Program. It reaches out to veterans who are suffering. You know, there are about 2,000 veterans a day committing suicide. And this program targets those, kind of, those, those veterans with PTSD and tries to save them in a lot of ways physically and you know, spiritually, help them meet God. And it's a very successful program. And I asked our pastor if I could start a branch of this program in our church. And you know what he said? He said, I don't want those kind of people in my church. Think about that, folks. I don't go to that church anymore. Just saying. The emphasis of the religious leaders was 
making themselves acceptable by strict adherence to the law. And then walking around, beating their chest, being pious. And look how good I am. Look how bad he is. But Jesus brought and presented an entirely new paradigm. In other words, there's a paradigm shift going on here. In this, in this new covenant, God extended grace to even the very worst sinners. The greater the sin, the greater the application of grace. Now that doesn't mean, as Paul said, that you could go around sinning, you know, so that grace would abound even more. God forbid. Matthew knew what it meant to have a completely new life because of Jesus. Completely new life. He couldn't continue being a tax collector, you see. I think it's significant that the first teaching that Matthew records is that uh, Jesus came to earth and made all things new. He's, his first teachings. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, go over these right now. Uh, the first one, there are three. First one, uh, well, Matthew, the first one is he describes a wedding and then clo- new clothing and then new wineskins. Look at verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do, you, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Now, it's doubtful that any of John's, John the Baptist's uh, followers ever attended any parties because John was a aesthetic. That means he, his disciples, they lived out in the wilderness and they, they lived a very sparse life and they didn't uh, they did fasting and praying a lot, and they avoided uh, social events, you see, and partying and such. And this was a rough time for these followers of John because John had been arrested. And as we all know, uh, later on, Herod would have him beheaded. It was only uh, natural for them to be sad and confused about what was going on and maybe, maybe even a little jealous of Jesus' successful ministry. Now we see that today, don't we? We see this person have a ministry and it's growing and it's bringing people are coming to Christ and a lot of times other pastors are jealous of that. I don't know why because they're all in the kingdom of God. We're all supposed to be serving God. Shouldn't be jealous about it. But Jesus answered in this way in Matthew uh, in verse 15. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. And then they will fast. Now this answer reminded these men of what John himself said about Jesus. <clears throat> if you look in uh, John chapter 3, verses 29 and 30, um, we had this passage just a few weeks ago, and it says, the one who has, who has the bride is the groom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase and I must decrease. That answer reassured them that Jesus was the one that, that John had prophesied about. Jesus also knew that this answer would comfort the followers and friends of John. 
But his reference to a wedding also reinforces the theme that Jesus came to make all things new. A wedding represents a new relationship, you see. And that's what Jesus came to give us. A new relationship with God. In a wedding, both the bridegroom and the bride choose each other. They make promises to each other. And they begin a new relationship built entirely on mutual love. That's the way it is with a new life with Jesus. He has already chosen you. He's made His eternal vows to you. The only question is left is, will you choose Him? Will you return the vows and accept the relationship that He is offering you? If you will say yes to Jesus, you will experience an entirely new relationship with God and a new life. A relationship based on love and not the law. Next, Matthew shares two more teachings of Jesus. These sayings that Matthew put together in Matthew 9 were most likely teachings that Matthew had heard Jesus repeat several times. The illustration of a wedding, new clothes, and wineskins are called pericopes. It's called a pericope. Put that in your vocabulary of terms. Pericopes. In this case, the pericopes are a brief teaching of Jesus that are grouped together. See, that's a good seminary word I learned. Not necessarily because they happen in one setting, but because they all illustrate a common theme. Pericopes. All right, now let's go on to, that brings us to new clothing. In verse 16, Jesus says to Matthew, No one puts a piece of unstruck cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Now, do anybody in here, does anybody in here have clothes with patches on them? I used to have some when I was a kid, but I don't have any now that I can think of. People in past generations used to patch clothes all the time because clothing was expensive. It wasn't as readily available. But don't you see that? You don't see that much more, much often anyway. If we rip something, we tear something, something gets a hole in it, we go out and we buy some new clothes, right? However, I will say this, there's there's a caveat this. Nowadays, it seems like if you rip your jeans, they go up in value. (laughs) I I don't understand. In fact, you can buy clothes that are already worn out. I I saw this young lady just yesterday, and I'm looking at her blue jeans, and, and from just below the pockets all the way to the ankles, it's just all full of holes. I'm thinking, poor thing. (laughs) I'd never wear something like that. (laughs) Anyway, so that being said, times change. In Jesus' time, just about everybody knew how to patch old clothing. You see, they had to patch them because your your clothing had to last for years. They took very good care of it as much as they could, and they patched it when it needed patched. But if you put uh, 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 some new 
unshrunk material on some old clothes that when you did wash them and that, that patch shrinks, it's going to tear a hole and make it even worse than it was to start off with. That's why they had to pre-shrink any new fabric if they're using new fabric so it would work out. Now let me tell you something. Here's the point of this and I want you to get it. Stan, especially you. <laughs> Jesus has no interest in patching up your sinful, worn out, ripped up old life. None. He's not into patchwork. He, wants, he doesn't want to patch up your old life. He wants to give you a new life. A new life. He's not going to patch up your old life. He's going to give you a new life. You're a new creature in God. Thank you. Now, there was a show that used to be on. I don't think it's on anymore. And I think I saw it once or twice. Uh, it's called, it was called uh, What Not to Wear. Anybody seen that show before? What Not to Wear? Is it still on? I don't think so. You know, it's a show where a couple of fashion experts, you know, descend on some poor, unsuspected, you know, person who is totally fashion challenged, and they offer to buy them a complete new wardrobe. The point is, though, you, they have to throw out all of their old wardrobe. And that's how it is with us and Jesus. Jesus gives us an entirely new wardrobe, not patched up old stuff. He came to cleanse our hearts and outfit us with a new way of life. He came to make all things new, including you. Now that brings us to the third thing, new wineskins for new wine. In verse 17, Jesus says, uh, Matthew writes this, <clears throat> Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skin bursts and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins and so both are preserved. But let me explain this a little bit because you think, you know, until I knew better, I was like, why? Why can't you put new wine in old wineskins? You know, what's the problem? Well, I'm going to explain what the problem is to y'all. Here it is. The wine was a common drink back then. It was, it was fermented, and the fermenting process killed germs. And it was safer to drink wine than it was water or even milk. They didn't have bottling companies. They didn't have pasteurization. So this was the safest, uh, least risky thing to drink. And what they would do is they'd put the new grape juice into a, a treated, leak-resistant goat skins. And as it fermented, what happens when something ferments? Come on, help me out, you people who bake. It expands. It expands, just like putting uh, yeast in dough. And it expands. So what happens is those wine skins being new and fresh expanded with the wine as it fermented, as the gas is built up. But if you put it in a, an old wine skin, you see there's no place, there's, the skin's not going to stretch anymore. It's <clears throat> stretched as far as it's going to stretch. And those old wine skins are, are you know, maybe they're, they're dry and brittle or whatever, but the elasticity is gone. 
So you fill them up with wine, and what's going to happen when the fermentation process starts? Boom. They bust. And there's a, maybe a minor explosion or, or a rip or whatever it is. But the, the bottom line is your wine's going all over the floor and the wineskin's ruined. Jesus' Jesus' teachings and the way he lived his life were like new wine, refreshing. But not able to be confined in the old brittle wineskin of the old covenant, you see. The old way of the law could not contain the new way of grace. Big difference. Everything about Jesus and His teachings was new. The kingdom He preached would be different in every aspect than what the Jews had experienced previously. Now I'm going to tell you something. Jesus came to move us. I have several things. I don't know, maybe nine or ten things. I'm going to tell you what He moved us from and to. He moved us from law to grace. He moved us from a worrisome efforts at flawless obedience to justification by faith. From repeated animal sacrifices to one all-sufficient sacrifice. From a sinful human priest to a sinless high priest. From the Ten Commandments to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. From the sign of circumcision to the sign of baptism. From the emphasis on sin to emphasis on the Savior. From outer conformity to inner conviction. From conditional covenant to an everlasting covenant. From enmity with God to peace with God. Somebody ought to say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus used the illustration of the wedding to show that he offers a new relationship with God that is based on love. Based on grace. Jesus gave the word picture of new clothes to show that he can do so much more than put a patch on your tattered and wore out and torn up life. He will cleanse your heart and give you entirely new life. He will make you a new creature. Jesus gave the metaphor of wineskins to show that He offers you an entirely new way to live and grow in constant connection with God. You know, you're in constant connection with God if you belong to Him. You don't have to go to a priest and offer an animal sacrifice. Jesus was sacrificed for your benefit, for your salvation. Once for all. Once for all, folks. And he was sacrificed in a most grotesque and painful way. Do you know why Jesus received 39 stripes and not 40? Because it was proven back then that a person could survive 39 lashes with a cat of nine tails, but, not the, but the 40th one would generally kill them. Now, today we celebrate the day that Jesus rose from the grave. Jesus offers you a complete new life that can start right here, right now, or right wherever you are. And even more than that, 
The resurrection of Jesus proves that He has the power over death and He can give you life after death. The great Easter truth is not that Jesus came to give you a better life. Jesus did not come to give you a better life regardless of what uh, the smiley face happy preachers on TV say. This is not your best life. If it is, we're all in trouble. The great truth of Easter is this, that Jesus offers you an entirely new life. Entirely new life. Start over. Everything is gone. Your sins are remembered no more. Separated from the east as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? I don't know. But it's a long way. And God sent His Son, Jesus Christ. Born of a virgin. Ministered here on earth. Was arrested. Tortured. And murdered on the cross for you and for me. And after three days, rose again to minister to many people. Hundreds saw Him. And they also saw Him ascend into heaven. And one day He's coming back. And you can be part of that kingdom. Say hallelujah. Hallelujah. And that's all i got to say about that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this this uh, Resurrection Sunday, Father God. We thank You for Your Son, Jesus. And Father God, I ask if there's anybody here or within the sound of my voice that needs to make a decision for You, Father, for regardless of what that decision is, that they would make that, that You would fill them with the Holy Spirit, Lord, that You would uh, just press upon them the urgency of whatever that decision is and that they would make it. Father God, there is no other way to heaven. Your son Jesus paid the price and to him goes all the glory. In his name, amen.